0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 5th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. When the cops take your money, it shouldn't be that hard to get it back if you haven't been convicted of anything. In the case of Crystal Starling, a mobile food vendor in Rochester, New York, she was never charged. She's still having a hard time getting anyone to listen about theft. And getting thousands of dollars stolen from her back... That would be icing on the cake. I spoke with Crystal Starling and Lee McGrath of the Institute for Justice about her case earlier this year. You know, back in the in the 1990s, uh, the Cato Institute published a book by Henry Hyde, uh, and it was called Forfeiting Our Property Rights, I believe, uh, or, or something to that effect. And it was really sounding the alarm on the scourge of civil forfeiture. Uh, and, and just to capitulate what that is, uh, detail in the shortest possible terms what civil forfeiture does.
1: Forfeiture is the process in which the state takes ownership of property in civil court, independent of criminal prosecution. So in theory, a person could be acquitted in of all criminal charges, but still lose their car, still lose their cash for many reasons. One, that the standard of proof is so much lower, this is your O.J. moment, that the standard of proof is only preponderance of the evidence, whereas in criminal court, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. But more often, the, va- the amount of what has been seized and is being litigated in forfeiture is so small that it's irrational for anyone to engage in the civil process. And they default. They don't respond to the notice. They don't file a complaint. They don't answer a complaint. They just walk away from their property. And so the biggest issue that we're, we see is people not fighting. The cost, the complexity of engaging in civil litigation is too high relative to the amount of property that has been seized. And, and, and let's understand that, of course,
0: this is all legal. And uh, what that practically can mean, not always, but sometimes this can just be, can
1: empower shakedowns. It can, it can. It, the Supreme Court has upheld the power of state legislatures to develop processes for the taking title of property completely independent of criminal prosecution. And this and secondly, oftentimes, in most states, there is the additional incentive that whatever is forfeited, the proceeds, the car, the, the proceeds from the sale of the, of the car, go to, re- uh, go to supplement law enforcement's budgets. And so they have an incentive. To focus on on cash
0: more than crimes, and we 've seen this in places like Tennessee, where uh, police are parked along interstate sixty five I believe sixty five and forty <laughs> and they are very interested in cars going one direction and not very interested in cars going the other direction
1: there 's a marvelous film by a local uh, r- reporter of fights between the uh, the, t- the Tennessee Highway Patrolmen and the different, different law enforcement a- agencies focused on the westbound side of the highway. Cash tends to travel west, and th- therefore this forfeiture tends not to be used for an interdiction of drugs traveling east, but rather as a sales tax traveling west. And, and broadly
0: speaking, uh, you, you noted that people just walk away um, but uh, Crystal Starling, who is here with us, did not just walk
1: away. She didn't. She didn't. So Crystal is a client of the Institute for Justice. She's from Rochester, Minnesota, Minnesota Rochester, New York, and uh, she is an innocent owner claimant. Uh, her ex-boyfriend was charged with a crime. He was subsequently acqui- acquitted, but New York law enforcement entered her home seized $8,040 $40, and Crystal has been determined to get that back. Uh, Crystal, why fight this? It's, I mean, it, it's an
0: $8,000 is a lot of money to most people. And uh, I understand that. But fighting something like this is also very costly and taxing.
2: It is costly and taxing, um, which is the reason why I have been fighting it pro se, um, doing it on my own. Um, when I originally had the money taken from me, um, I went to a few lawyers and tried to get representation, but was told that it would cost me um, from 3000 to $5,000. Um, I was not able to afford that. I had already been, you know, had cash taken away from me. So um, I tried to pursue this on my own. My reason for doing it on my own, um, for pursuing it, anyway is because I'm an innocent person. Um, I I was never charged with a crime. I was never the subject of the initial investigation Um, and I want what's rightfully mine.
0: And you've turned down offers to settle.
2: Yes, two so far, two.
0: How much, what were they offering to settle for?
2: They were offering to settle for half of the $8,040.
0: And at that point were you were you even tempted to?
2: Not at all. Because I feel like if you guys have taken something away from me because I did something illegal or um I did something wrong, why are you offering me half of it back? If I'm entitled to half of it, I should be entitled to the whole thing.
0: So this is a pr- this is a principled stance. Yes. What do you expect to happen?
2: I hope to get the money back, but if I don't, um i'm going to feel good about just you know advocating for myself shedding some light on the issues at hand because um now that you know i've had the institute for justice um standing with me um I, ha- I have a lot more knowledge about the um the issue and there are so many other people that have come before me that have just given up and i want to show people that it's okay to fight for what you believe in, it's okay to um, do what's right and stand on what's right
0: and and you know the state here, the government, is depending on people like you not fighting right that's that's part of the business model for lack of a better term. Yes, before you uh, joined up with the Institute for justice for the to h- handle this case, what was the process that you went through? to begin trying to get your money back?
2: Uh, the initial process was to file a claim to the Department of Justice, um, which I did that. Um, I met that deadline. Um, after that, I hadn't received any correspondence from um, the Department of Justice till about, I think I filed those papers in late November. I got a response in mid-January of 21. Um, and that was just, A confirmation number. Um, It was just a piece of correspondence that had a tracking number attached to it telling me that they had received my initial claim. And if I ever wanted to follow up, that that was the number that I needed to use to follow up on that. Um, I never received any further correspondence, so I took it upon myself to continue to reach out to um, the New York State Police Department, who had initially taken the money, and also the district attorney who was presiding over the criminal case. Um, I kept getting the runaround. One person would tell me to go to this person. The next person would say to go to this person um after several months several months of trying i finally spoke to they they changed the district attorney and this district attorney told me that i needed to wait until the case had been out of court the the only way i would be entitled to the money if i would be entitled to the money was when the case had been um whatever taken out of court the criminal case um After the criminal case ended, um, my ex-boyfriend, he was acquitted of all charges. So um, I spoke with his lawyer and asked him, you know, how would I go about getting the money back? He referred me to speak to the district attorney again. I spoke to that district attorney and they they really couldn't help me either. So I just started doing some digging, asking around and things like that and found out that the money was in the Western District of New York. And then I started the uh, process with that.
1: The New York prosecutors, having failed to convict Crystal's ex-boyfriend, transferred the forfeiture assets, the $8,040, to the federal system under the equitable sharing system. Which is a standard procedure for local law enforcement. It is an option for for, uh, law enforcement to federalize the cases, even though the, the state of New York and 49 other states have state forfeiture laws. So this back door is a, is available to state officials and and so Crystal having tried hard filed all the necessary papers list, contacted New York prosecutors listened to their instructions followed their instructions wakes up one one day and the case is federalized and this is where she misses the deadline not even knowing that the case has been turned over to the US, US attorney, not even knowing that it's in federal, federal court, and, uh, at, and she defaults. And whereas many people default, many property owners default because the dollar amount is too small, Crystal's case represents the complexity that one has to go, and the, and the complexity of filing all these papers Particularly on a pro se representing her, herself, a whole new court system.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of Brazil. Does it just in absolutely uh, the movie, not the, oh. not the country, of just being trapped in uh, bureaucratic hell, so just trying trying to trying
1: to get something that belongs to you. That's that's exactly exactly right. And so IJ is representing her. She's lost at the. D- at the district court level, with a strict interpretation of the rules of civil procedure, usually when a person goes into court even federal court representing themselves there's there's a lot of leniency in the that a judge will will take, particularly when the failure to file doesn't prejudice the case but not the case not in crystal's case and so the strict inter- interpretation the Strict finding of default is what at the is at the heart of the of, of the appeal that Crystal is making with my colleagues at the Second Circuit.
0: Crystal Starling is a mobile food vendor in Rochester, New York. Lee McGrath is an attorney at the Institute for Justice. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.